Hola and hello friends. Welcome to the Medicine, Marriage and Money podcast, the only podcast for dual physician couples who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a stronger and more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome and bienvenidos. As a physician, you routinely check your patient's health, but when was the last time you checked the financial health of your practice? You could be needlessly losing money right now. Stop bleeding money. Get actionable insights about your group's financial performance with a free no-strings-attached assessment from CareCloud, a leader in medical billing solutions, EHR, and more. CareCloud has over 20 years' experience helping large and small providers boost profitability and has helped thousands of practices optimize their financial operations. Request through a free revenue cycle assessment and learn more about your group's performance by visiting drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash care cloud. That's drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash care cloud. Please help me welcome our guest on today's show of Medicine, Marriage, and Money, Dr. David Yeh. Dr. David is a board-certified and practicing radiology and nuclear medicine physician, speaker, best-selling author, investment advisor, and founder of the Wealthy Doctor Institute. David has spent 26 years researching, backtesting, and refining straightforward investment systems that have allowed him to semi-retire at 45 years old. Victor and I had the pleasure of being in David's small group during a virtual couples retreat about five months ago. I will let David explain the rest. So welcome, Dr. David. Yay! Pleasure being here. Thanks for coming on. Tell us a little bit about you. Like, where are you? What are you doing now? Sure. So that was a great introduction. Thank you. So that's basically where I am right now. I'm a recovering radiologist, nuclear physician, double booking. I was burning out when I was 45. Well, I was burning out long before that. But uh, by the time I was 45, I hit that emotional rock bottom. You know, when you finally get to that point where you say, never again, I have to do something. Well, I look, I was looking at my finances and I was thinking, you know, you know, it wasn't quite retirement yet. One way to look at wealth is to see that if you somehow didn't have any income anymore, how long could you live? And I calculated out that I could probably live comfortably around another 30, maybe 40 if I stretched it. But, you know, it wasn't quite retirement, but it was definitely something that I really didn't need a private practice income for anymore. So I took the plunge and I just stepped down for private practice. And, of course, when I did that, a colleague started asking, holy shoot, you know, he's serious about this. Because they all knew I kind of invested. I took off Fridays because I used to trade option things, things like that. Then people started realizing, shoot, you know, He's here. So, you know, how do you do that? So that's when I started to explain how I invested. And I thought, wow, you know, enough people are probably interested in this that I, I could probably make a career out of this, trying to change the world and teach people that, you know, traditional ways of investing, there are weaknesses that we can circumvent and mitigate. So I wrote a book. And of course, when people started reading the book, they asked me if I would invest for them. So I made another career zag. I was like, wow, you know, this is the level of help that people need maybe I'll step up and become investment advisor. And, you know, we were together in a Tony event, Tony Robbins event. And this was around when Tony was just publishing his book and he was describing what a fiduciary was versus what other advisors were. And I was going, wow, you know, this is something that calls to me, you know, because like as physicians, we're used to taking care of people and taking the responsibility 
along with the profession. And a fiduciary is pretty much what to the finance industry is as a doctor is the healthcare industry. So it was a natural fit for me to just transition there. Ah, oh, so, okay. So yeah, explain to our audience a little bit about what is a fiduciary in, in case they have not heard. Sure. So you've probably, you know, as a physician, I know I was approached by many different advisors wanting my business. And by far, 93% of people who have investment advisory businesses, they only have to make sure that whatever they sell you, have you invest in is suitable. Whereas if someone is a fiduciary, they have to, by law, make sure that whatever they're doing for you is in your best interest more than their own. So for instance, uh, they can't sell, if there are two different products that you can choose from, they can't just sell you the one that automatically gives them more commissions or whatever. They have to make sure that whatever it is really is in your best interest. Mm, okay, so it's an important question for people to ask their financial advisor. Exactly. So you are you are a fiduciary? Yes. Ah, okay. Okay, so you stepped down from private practice. That was after how many years of private practice? Um, wow, 13 years. 13 years? Okay, 13 years, and you had enough to live. You said the definition of wealth was like when you have enough to live for like 30 or 40 more years, or I guess... Exactly. So when... You save for retirement, at that time at least. My thinking was, well, how do you measure wealth? Because everyone has all these different lifestyle costs, right? Everyone spends differently. Everyone has different levels of comfort. And so one way of measuring wealth is how long could you live on whatever you have saved up right now? Mm, Okay. Okay. And then... Well, okay, so this is what you're doing in your career, financial. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, the love life, since, of course, this is the the marriage, the medicine marriage and money podcast. I like to start out by asking all my guests what their definition of marital interdependence is, or in other words, what makes a successful marriage? Do you have any opinions on that? Yeah, I mean, this is a really interesting question, because I first heard about interdependence way back I don't know if you ever heard of uh, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He described interdependence, and he described how we evolve in stages, going from dependence to independence to interdependent. But he never really gave great examples in his book or in some of his talks. So, But I that was one of the few books that I first started listening to way back when I was a poor broke intern, and I was really trying to get my life back together again. And uh, It was a transforming book of mine, and I listen to what interdependence was. I kind of got an idea, but not. it wasn't obviously that great because I got into a marriage that didn't work out at that time because I didn't understand what interdependence was. I've always been brought up to think that, you know, men and women are equal, right? But I never really understood that equal doesn't necessarily mean same. So I was making the mistakes of thinking, well, you know, just because I like it some certain way means that my partner likes something the same certain way and made these assumptions from this blind spot and which didn't really do any good for our relationship. So when I started studying more about relationships and I really have to, you know, let me talk about my ex. It wasn't a great marriage, but at least it gave me the motivation to really learn about how to have a great marriage, how to develop myself, how to learn and change and grow and become the man that I'm proud of you today. So one thing that was really pivotal was the Tony Robbins seminar that we went to, that dated with Destiny. I first went to it in 2014. 
Okay. Okay. 214 was your first one. And so what did, what did you, what were your big take-home points from that? The big one. Now, Day with Destiny is a whole life-changing thing of which day number four is relationship day. That one day was huge because it taught me, it showed me on a visceral level what the differences between masculine and feminine energies are. Because I kind of thought, okay, well, masculine and feminine, it's whatever. But I never really got it until we got those exercises. So when I got what masculine energy is all about, what feminine energy is all about, there was we, we're still equal. I mean, we still complement each other. There are strengths and weaknesses, but it's not like it's either or. We all have masculine and feminine energies within us. It's just that one we're more used to than the other. One comes one after like some people right-handed, some people left-handed. So I'm more masculine-oriented. So I own the fact that I'm more comfortable being the protector and the provider and all of a sudden, things in life started to make sense. Like, for instance, before I got married, I used to ballroom dance a lot. And ballroom dance, exactly. So there was a movie that was really inspiring. It was a movie called Shall We Dance? Not the American version, but the original Japanese version. And what, what got me was well, when they were describing what ballroom dancing was all about, at least from the guy's perspective, they were describing how the job of their man was to lead. And by leading, what you're doing is you're providing a safe space so that she's free to follow and you can showcase her so that all she can shine. And something about that spoke to me. That's why I started Barn Dance way back when I, before I learned all this stuff. And it changed my life. So now that I owned that there are these differences in these energies, I can bring back polarity. So the polarity is what's complementary between two people to make it interdependent. Because otherwise, if we're fighting for certain things, it may not go well. But if we realize that, you know, not necessarily sex is roles or anything, but just the fact that some energies I'm more comfortable with and some energies someone else is more comfortable with, and just letting go. And even though I may not understand why this is important to them, I can bring my presence in and they can bring their creative energy and whatever in and just make the whole relationship blossom. So the whole interdependence paradigm to me is a dance of life. I mean, you know, sometimes we step on each other's toes or whatever, but you know, at least we recognize what's going on and we can laugh about it instead of fighting about it. Yes. I love that, right? Recognizing each other's differences and realizing that, yes, it's just the dance of life. There should be polarity without it. We'll just be fighting to be the same, which is different than being equal. Oh my gosh. Okay. So this definitely does sound life-changing. I mean, I was there with you in 2020, but 2014 this when you start. Okay. So, okay. So tell us about your, the first time you met your current honey. Sure. So I met Shao. I was finished my divorce around six months before. And I started to, you know, this was when I was trying to rebuild my empire. And of course you don't really get much time to go out and find people. So I went online. I no shame about that. Uh, it makes looking for people really efficient. But um, apparently there's this whole online dating crowd where there are systems that I wasn't aware of. So I went on Match and within that first day, she introduced herself to me, which was funny because this was, uh, she was thinking that this was going to be a last day because she was just so fed up with matching things like that. 
So she just saw me popping up, and you know, if we ever get her on the show, she can tell her side of the story. But somehow I reminded her of someone that was uncanny, even though it's someone I know, I don't know. But it just happened to be someone my age, my profession, my you know family situation, my whatever, all in the same town. Wow. And uh, she thought of it as some kind of divine signal or divine message that uh, maybe she should talk to this guy. So we went out and the very first date we went to was in fact a ballroom dance practice session. So I, she was, uh, you know, obviously one thing that attracted us to each other was that she was a dancer, I'm a dancer, but she's more performance dancing with Chinese dancing, which is more choreographed materials and there's no real interaction between two people. So I want to introduce her to this. And the very first date, I, I saw how she was just loving it and just her smile when she was doing it. And I mean, it was just very beautiful. She was just taking to it. She was, it was obvious that before in her relationship, she had to be the masculine force. And when we were starting to talk about polarity, she got it and she understood. And she, that to me was beautiful because she was open-minded enough to start learning about different concepts. And when we went on that date and I just saw her, you know, there was a freebie class right before the practice session. And I just saw her just lighting up and blossoming in her feminine. It, it, it was just so beautiful. So after that. You just answered all my questions about how did you fall in love? Cause you're just explaining all of her best qualities. It sounds like. And that was just the beginning. So yeah, it was amazing because the more we learned, she's a data scientist by trade. So you know, she's very analytical and that's why in her work, she has to use her single focused logical mind a lot, which didn't really let her create creative mind come out as much. But she loved the fact that what I do is very data driven. You know, first the radiology is very data driven and now the finance of way I invest is very data driven. So she liked that about me. I like the how you know she was a data scientist and you know just several things clicked i mean it's pretty amazing i mean uh she has a son i have a son that both happen to be named william <laughs> which things makes things a little bit uh interesting here but i guess we were thinking they have nicknames um kind of i mean uh, when we text each other it's easy it's just you know or mine is wy his is wn and but otherwise you know we try calling one william one will and sometimes it doesn't always Okay, so then what happened next? When did you propose? You know, funny you should ask, because, you know, I, I've listened to your podcast, and there's some amazing proposal stories that you have. And it's sometimes people have these elaborate ways of proposing. So I'm thinking, like, right now, I haven't formally proposed to Xiao yet, but right here on the source, you have thousands of subscribers downloading your podcast. And in front of these thousands of people, Xiao, I'm talking to you right now, okay? You're probably, I'm visioning this right now. We're both sitting in the car. We're listening to this podcast. And I'm going to ask you in front of everyone, Xiao, baby girl, will you marry me? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, she's not here. So she's going to have to listen to this after, <laughs> after I edit it real quick and release it to you. And then hopefully we'll get her answer. What do you think she's going to say, David? <laughs> well, you know, 
I think she's going to say yes. I mean, if she doesn't, I'm just going. To, I'm going to be. I, this is going to be very, very awkward. <laughs> I, I mean, you, you you do these things, and no matter how sure you are, there's always that element of who knows what. I guess that's what makes life interesting. I'm going to hope she says yes. Okay, so we'll envision that she says yes, and then tell us what does your future with her look like? I mean, and you, and I'm sure you'll have some financial, you know, financial visions as well, and tips you can give to other couples who are listening currently. <laughs> sure. Well, we both agree on several things. Like, for instance, we both live in the same town right outside Chicago, and we're both really tired of the cold. In the winter times, it's getting much too cold, especially with the polar vortex. So we both want to move somewhere warm. And as soon as both of our kids have launched and gone to college or whatever, we're moving. We're moving somewhere where it's warm. We're moving somewhere where if she wants to pursue her career, she can. I'm very flexible in terms of where I need to work. As long as I have good internet access, I'm great. So. Okay, because you're in Illinois currently, right? Well, come join me in Texas, David. <laughs> hey, Texas is really hot. I'm tempted, yes. <laughs> and tax advantages down there, amazing, yes. I'm still looking right now. But uh, definitely somewhere in the cars, we're moving somewhere south and warm. Okay. Hey, are you going to have, this is another important question if she does say yes. Do you have a wedding budget or how are you going to, how are you going to do the financials for the wedding? Well, now that she knows that we're going to get married, we'll be talking about this as well. But yes, this is something that, just like with any other thing we need to plan for, we need a budget, and we need to budget for the chance that it goes over budget. Because you know this isn't our first rodeo, so uh, I don't know how elaborate we want to make this. Um, she's the extrovert, I'm the introvert, I'm kind of happy with just a small wedding but uh, she has a lot of friends so we'll see how many we want to accommodate and based on that we'll figure out what venue would sue us best but uh, whatever it is we'll definitely have dancing okay yes dancing well Victor and I can totally relate to that because I mean I think that's that's kind of how we connected to we we're both big dancers and let's talk about okay so let's talk about your current and future rituals that you guys have that set you up for success either individually or as as a couple sure so uh, rituals like for instance if we go back to finance this is one place where we obviously have differences i'm more methodical i'm more systems driven in terms of this i mean we both are very systematic and methodical in our own ways but this is one area where she's kind of more hands-offish and let someone else does it and this is something that I love doing, so it's perfect. So it's like kind of, we have this rule. Whoever has a high standard owns it. So she has a high standard cooking, so okay, fine, I let her cook. I have a high standard doing laundry, so okay, fine, I do that. And finance is just one of these things where I do, and I, I do like this mini audit every week, weekend. And this way I know exactly where we are, and she just kind of lets things slide, and <laughs> hopefully, you know, bills don't come too overdue or something. And That's a good approach. I have that one whoever has this higher standards owned it that makes so much that it makes a lot of sense this way there's no nagging about hey why don't you ever pick up your whatever it's like well you know if this is so important and it obviously doesn't phase the other person at all right exactly so how are you guys going to combine finance or do you have com combined finances already you're going to keep those separate or what does that look like now and in the future 
Okay, so in her old marriage, she combined finances, and there was a lot of arguments about finance because of that. I've always compartmentalized, even living by myself before my first marriage, I learned one way to dig myself out of financial purgatory and into financial success is to compartmentalize. And I teach this where, you know, even uh, Tony Robbins teaches this, you have several buckets, right? You have the safety bucket, you have the risk bucket, you have the dream bucket. And even within them, realize that if we have a checking account, that checking account tends to be spent. Even if you intend to save something in that safety bucket, in that checking account, there's always some kind of emergency or something that comes along, your car breaks down, the bridging is repairing or replacing. So somehow that money disappears. So that's why we pay ourselves first. And when we pay ourselves first, it doesn't necessarily have to go to one other bucket. It can go to many other buckets, depending on what the funds are for. So if you want to invest, that's one thing. If you want to save for a dream, whatever, that's another thing. If you want to save up for real estate investing or stock investing or retirement or whatever, these are all different components of that risk bucket. And what I do is once I compartmentalize everything, it's like a well-oiled machine with all these different moving parts. And when they work together, it just propels us forward even faster. Okay. And you guys do that and you guys have agreed to do that or we're going to sit down and agree to do it, you think? Well, so far I've been doing, in fact, I've been doing it for her. She's like, what a concept, you know, she's, her finances are finally organized. So <laughs> and she appreciates that about me. Yeah, no, that's perfect. That's exactly what we do. Because like, if you see it in your checking account, yeah, you're definitely more likely to spend it. So put it in your investment accounts first and your investment buckets. Okay. So tell us what, have you made any poor financial decisions or like, what's the worst financial decision you've ever made? Oh my God. Uh, which category do you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you have, so there are quite a few. Yeah. I mean, way back, well, this wasn't a financial decision, but way back in the beginning, right out of med school, my intern year, I was fairly financially naive. And that's because I had very well-meaning parents who sheltered me. And, you know, I love them. They wanted to really protect me. And I never really got a chance to make my own mistakes and learn from them. And of course, once I had my first paycheck, I had my first paycheck and I thought all I had to do was balance my checkbook. And I quickly learned that real life has teeth could be vicious. I ran into the red, more month end of my money, sleepless nights, knots in my stomach. I got to, again, another one of these emotional rock bottoms where I said to myself, never again, I have to get this part of my life handled. So that's when I really started reading all these dummies books on personal finance and investing and dug myself out of a hole. And Wow. Okay. So you, that's how you learned. You had to dig yourself out of the hole first and then you became... Well, I, I didn't... This, Thing is, I didn't even have a hole to begin with. I dug, I dug my own hole first. Well, I fell into my hole first. I don't even know how I got there first, but I got out. You know, so how does that work, David? Yeah, that, that's what happens when you don't know what you're doing. You know, you don't know how things work, and you have to, you have to learn. And that's what I did. Trial by fire. And since then, what has been your smartest financial decision? Yeah, well, yeah, that's the point. It's like. Are these these rock bottom experiences really? Because I would never wish these experiences on my worst enemy, and yet if I never went through them, I wouldn't have grown and developed and learned as much as I would have. So, like for instance, investing. I I was learning about dollar cost averaging and saving a little bit of paycheck every time. But then I had uh, someone else in residency who was investing in stocks, and I was like, oh no no, I can't do stocks. But then I ran across this course 
on options investing. You know, there's get rich quick scheme. And I, at that time, I didn't know the difference between trading and investing. I got the course. It cost like two thousand dollars. It's like holy cow! How can heck can I avoid it? But I bought it anyway. And uh, because I had so much skin in the game, I devoured it. I watched what they were doing, and I tried following along. I realized that some of the things that they were doing, I probably would never have done. And when I followed what they were doing, turns out they weren't great traders either. But at least it kind of solidified in my mind that, hey, maybe I know something. So when I finally started putting my own trades on, the worst thing that can happen to a beginner investor isn't that you lose money. The worst thing that can happen, just like with gambling, is you become ridiculously successful. And that's exactly what happened. Within two trades, I doubled my money. And I thought I was a genius. And that's when I found out how vicious emotions can be. Once you get arrogant, once you get complacent, then you start to make stupid mistakes. And then within five trades, I crashed my account. And again, oh, I found this hole again. Rock bottom, knots my stomach, dig myself out again. But, you know, it's, if I never went through that, and this was 1995, right? During the middle of one of the biggest bull markets in history, a decade-long bull market, I learned you can still lose money. So that's where I learned safety first when I invest. So then for then on, all my systems I develop, I make systems so that I don't have my emotions sabotaging me. All my rules I use are specifically trying to be safe first before making any money. Okay, so the worst thing that can happen as an investor is to make a lot of money quickly. Yes. Overconfident, arrogant, you lose in a bull market. And from that, you're saying, okay, let's make systems so your emotions don't get in your way. Exactly. Okay. So th is that what you probably, so how do you recommend like other physicians approach investing? Okay. You, you mentioned, you know, paying yourself first, putting systems in place. What else is, are those the two main things you think you should focus on? Well, you know, us physicians, we have systems in our work. We round on our patients, right? And when we round our patients, we don't do a whole HMP each time. We already know which variables we're looking at to know what to do. Well, if we already have an investment system in place, it's just a matter of now rounding our system, you know, rounding our stocks, rounding our whatever. So if you just say, okay, every week or maybe every month, we'll just do this round and know exactly what we're looking for. Because a lot of people make the mistake of, well, I listen to CNBC or I listen to Fox News or I listen to whatever, and oh my God, you know, if this guy says to buy this, this guy says don't buy this, what should I do? There's too much information, and most of it's irrelevant. In fact, if you listen to yourself, most of the information you get from all this social media and all this news, they trigger visceral emotions, fear, greed, and if you base your investments on emotions, that's a recipe for disaster because the whole market is one big herd going one direction and then suddenly the other. I even have some of my friends reach out to me occasionally like, oh, did you hear we're supposed to be investing in this? We're supposed to be in, did you hear about this? <laughs> let's, let's start investing in this. I'm like, you guys, no, no, no. I don't pick, I don't pick my, uh, my stocks. My, I, I just kind of let it go in. <laughs> exactly. But if you have, for instance, a filter, like again, as a radiologist, uh, when we look at scanner data, CT scans, MRI, ultrasound, the raw data that comes out of the machines are uninterpretable human eye. So we need mathematical filters to scope the data into something that is more understandable to the human eye, patterns. So I use the same 
concept for the markets. I use a mathematical filter to tell me, if, for instance, if the markets are relatively safe or dangerous. And when it's safe, I'm in. When it's dangerous, I'm out. Sometimes it's counterintuitive, but a few times I thought I knew better than the system were the times when the system did better than I did. So I've learned once I make the system, follow the system, because otherwise my emotions get in the way. And we know exactly what to look for each time we round. And these are kind of these are like the the courses you have that people can take to kind of set these systems up that you you have implemented in your own life. Yes, the rudimentary concepts are in my book. Um, I'm trying to make a course. I haven't made it live yet. I'm still in a drawing stage. But as a fiduciary, I also coach people if they want to learn how I do it because, you know, a lot of investment advisors. What got me when I was a, attending was when they would come to me to solicit my business. And I would ask them very simple questions about investing or trading. And they would tell me, well, no, we can't reveal that because it's proprietary. And I would go, well, I'm willing to sign any kind of non-disclosure agreement. And they said, well, we still can't show you. And to me, that's the antithesis of what advisors should be. We're all, we should be about empowerment. So one thing I wanted to be when I became a fiduciary is like, wow, you know, maybe I should be the fiduciary I wish I had when I was an intern where I can teach what I do so that if you want to do this by yourself, more power to you because now you're empowered, what's a better place? I love that. I empower people as a fiduciary. Exactly. So do you have any take home points, Dr. Ye, as we wrap up on either, we, we covered a lot on finances, on marriage, anything else on medicine? On medicine, wow. I mean, here's, here's something related to medicine and family. It's like I come from a family of physicians, and I'm. This is probably the first generation, many generations, where I'm not suggesting medicine to my own son, because I'm trying to rescue physicians. It seems pretty counter whatever to suggest it to my son. So I'm just supporting him in whatever he wants to do for college. So unfortunately, he's like one of the most. It's just like most other college people, they don't have a direction yet. So you're not discouraging nor encouraging, or would you say you're leaning? I'm being very neutral. If you ask me questions, I try to answer it as neutral as possible. Playing the neutral card. Okay. I mean, he's probably been around, you know, your whole financial thoughts and money. I mean, you probably talk, talk to him about all of your beliefs about what we just said, right? When he asks, I do. Because, you know, teenagers... They are in this formative stage where they form their own opinions. I remember when I was a teenager, if someone tried to push information on me, I'd just rebel. But when he's curious and asks questions, I'm an open book. Okay. No, that's smart. I'm not, I'm not quite there yet, David. So I'm just here to empower my three-year-old and two-year-old at the moment. But that was beautiful. So, okay. So hopefully, Xiao sitting next to you in your car right now is envisioning your wedding. We will see. I would like to thank you guys so much. And, you know, we can even, we definitely will have to invite her back on and, and hear, hear her answer. So before we go, unfortunately, because I'm in this profession where if we discuss anything about finances, I have to give some kind of disclaimer. So here's my standard disclaimer. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Information presented is also dated material and may be out of date or obsolete after the date of publication. 
Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Any client examples were hypothetical and used to demonstrate the concept. Perfect. And where can we find you? Well, you can find me by just going to my website, wealthy.dayinstitute.com. Or if you want to just schedule in a call or Zoom call, just go to calldavidyay.com. Calldavidyay.com. And yay is spelled Y-E-H. Or just email me, D-Y-E-H, at wealthy.dayinstitute.com. Well, thank you so much. A pleasure being here. Before we go, let's give another shout out to our sponsor, CareCloud. Don't let bad billing processes keep you from your hard-earned revenue. CareCloud's free revenue cycle assessment uncovers billing mistakes so you can see how to claim every last dollar. Get your free assessment by visiting drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash CareCloud. Again, that's drpodcastnetwork.com forward slash CareCloud. Don't wait. CareCloud is ready to help your practice thrive. Okay, so cliffhanger, cliffhanger with Dr. David Yeh. We're going to see if Xiao, his possibly future fiance, now fiance, if she says yes. So we're going to see. I'm going <laughs> to do my take-home points from Dr. David Yeh, and then I will be back with the answer. Number one. The definition of wealth can be simple. It can mean the amount of money you need to live on for the rest of your life for the next 30 or 40 or 50 years, depending on your age. The definition of wealth doesn't need to mean something completely out of reach or unattainable. Often when we think of the wealthy, we think of something far beyond our reach, above our heads. I've, I mean, I've, 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 I've heard this from multiple people, actually some of my colleagues that say that I'm not wealthy. You know, but it doesn't mean multiple luxurious vacations a year, a closet full of exquisite bags, a collection of sports cars. What does wealth mean to you? I mean, it just needs to be enough for you to live. So take that for what it's worth. Go start building your wealth. Call yourselves wealthy. Make the right decisions. (laughs) Or learn from the poor decisions and make better ones. Okay, so number two, number two. Remember, the worst thing that can happen as an investor is to make a lot of money quickly. Just like getting famous, like when you're Britney Spears or Justin Bieber and you get famous way too quickly. (laughs) You can tell who I listened to when I was in uh, middle school. (laughs) So, or even still, What is the worst thing that can happen as an investor? You make a lot of money quickly. Why? Because this leads to overconfidence, arrogance, and this is not good as an investor, right? We're not, we can't beat the system. We can't game the system. That is so, I mean, we're not, we're not machines. We are humans. So what would be better is if we learned to make systems, we set systems in place in our lives, in our financial structures, so that our emotions, like confidence, arrogance, do not sabotage our financial future. Number three, being equal in your marriage or in life, or in any relationship, equality does not mean being the same. We 
are different for a reason. There is no such thing as being the exact same. We have to stop comparing ourselves to our spouses and what they would do and how they react and wanting them to react the way we want them to or we would react or do what we would do or want them to do and stop keeping track because there there is a reason. Their polarity works, right? Positive and negatives are attract, attract, attract each other. There's a reason we both have feminine and masculine aspects uh, inside of us. Men have feminine and masculine. Women have feminine and masculine. And usually one of us is a little bit more feminine, a little bit more masculine. That's polarity and that's what attracts us. There's no such thing as being the same. So being equal doesn't look the same. What does that mean for you, for your marriage, for your relationship? That is almost it until we hear about the answer. She said yes or she said no. (laughs) I hope you walk away asking yourself, my friends, what is my definition of wealth? In the dance of life that is my marriage, do I lead or do I shine? Is my financial advisor a fiduciary? How can I be more open-minded in my marriage? Before I say goodbye, we're going to get that answer. Hi, Kate. This is David. I just wanted to update you tonight. Uh, I'm sitting next to Shao right now, and we were in the car playing the podcast, and she said yes. Hi. Yeah, this is uh, really a surprise, and uh, we were on the way to a dancing party. Yeah, the same uh, dancing place that we went for our first date. In fact, it's been closed until now, so this was really good timing. Yeah, I was. I totally didn't uh, prepare for that. It's just like a. It's a total surprise to me because, uh, you know, he was driving, and then we are kind of in a rush to go to the dancing party, and then he all of a sudden he turned on this uh, podcast, and then he said, "Doctor, yeah, I think what?" And then I thought he was the interview, uh, for his job, and all of a sudden he's talking about the, you know, proposal. I was kind of. Uh, I was kind of shocked, and then, and then he reached out to get a, a ring. He was driving in one hand on a car and on a on a wheel, and another hand just reached out to a ring and present to me. It was a beautiful ring, but I was kind of totally freaked out. I said, "Hey, you don't want to get crushed into a car." Yeah, I guess she thought that uh, just because she was excited or nervous that uh, I was going to crash the car, but uh, I was in control. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, it was definitely beautiful, and uh, I was kind of uh, didn't expect it to happen on the way to a dancing party, and uh, and it's a beautiful rain, and uh, I really I really appreciate that. So thank you for the opportunity. It was a magic moment. Just want to share the moment with you, and just for posterity's sake, uh, we're recording this July second, twenty twenty one. And she said, yes, and I'm going to hold you to it. Thank you. If you are finding the concepts I teach in this podcast useful and you want more in-depth, personalized support for your relationship, 
I invite you to reach out to me at medicinemarriageandmoney.com where you can book a free 30-minute consultation with me. If you are a physician, you can join my free Facebook community, also called Medicine, Marriage, and Money. I am so excited you joined us today and cannot wait to connect with you again soon. Thanks for leaving us a five-star review and for telling your friends about the podcast. Much love to you and your spouse. You are right where you need to be in this moment, and we can help. Adios, my friends. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.